and pop up in a minute. Meeting is now streaming live on Facebook. So good evening, everybody. Hello and welcome to Mike Rain's Notes from the Hills. That was Ian just disappearing off in the background. Thank you, Ian. I'm Mike Rain, the author of Nature Snowdonia, and I offer further training in CPD for mountain leaders and mountaineering instructors. As part of that, I'm conducting a few interviews with people behind the scenes, people who make the uplands tick. Uh, we've got all sorts of things lined up. There'll be some more events going on live tomorrow for uh, January and February. We're looking at that time now. And some of you will be well aware that we've got um, Senior National Park Officer next week, the person who's in charge of access, conservation and the wardens in Snowdonia National Park. So look out for that one. Each interview gets turned into a podcast afterwards. So if you have to dash off, don't worry, you'll be able to catch it up on a podcast after this performance. Anyway, enough of that. To tonight's guest, who I know you've all come to, to see and listen to. Um, and some of you might have seen Tulare on the TV as a Snowdonia shepherdess. Um, isn't that a bit sexist? I'm not sure if we're allowed to say that, Tulare, but that's what the BBC said, isn't it? Yes. You may have heard her also on the uh, radio talking about farming issues. She's certainly a rising star of farming and she's a very articulate, committed young farmer who believes in working the land and rearing animals, but in doing a way that is also sympathetic with nature and so that nature can thrive. She was inspired by her grandfather, but she's not from a true farming family and she was given the opportunity to run the National Trust Farm uh, which initially should have been for a year. I like to think she did such a good job they kept her on for three years. Uh, she'll be very modest about that, but she's now on her own. She's just taken on a, a farm tenancy and her and her partner, Ned, uh, gives her great support. And along with their two dogs, Roy and Ralph, they're starting on a new venture of their own farm. So Tulare, Wow, that's an awful lot, isn't it? How, how are you feeling today? Let's start with today before we go too, too far. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Mike. It's nice to, yeah, nice to join you. Thank you for such a kind introduction. I'm cringing, but thank you. <laughs> I know, everybody does, but, but she, she's really good. Um, this has been a shocking year for a lot of people, Tulare. Uh, I know I feel slightly guilty because I live in a nice place and I've had quite a nice year, but how has it been for you on the farm? Mixed, yeah, quite mixed to be honest. I mean, I'm, I feel incredibly lucky in that this year has been quite a big positive year for me and that obviously we were successful with the, the tenancy bid. Um, so we were successful with, a, with getting this farm and farmhouse and we've got a 10 year tenancy. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's really exciting for me to know that I've got that security, hopefully. Um, it was very different um, at the beginning of the year. It was um, so much uncertainty, obviously, for everyone. But like you said, just felt incredibly lucky to be living somewhere so beautiful. And lambing um, was done without any tourists around. I don't think it will ever happen again. Um, but selfishly was, was yeah, quite, quite nice. Sorry. <laughs> it, it's funny as walkers and climbers, we never think of ourselves as tourists, but I guess to, to the farming community, we're all tourists, aren't we? I, yeah, I think, it, I think it was just, the lack of people in general was just so, so different to anything Nant Gwynant and Sodonia has probably ever seen or will ever 
see again. So sorry to lump you in with one <laughs> one word. No, it was a, it was a remarkable time, and and uh, yeah, there were lots of special things about it. Of course, it went a bit mad afterwards, didn't it? But before we go on there, just tell us a little bit about this farm, Tulare. You've got what sort of farm is it, and and what state is it in, and what are you going to do to it? It's it's a interesting farm. It's got lots of um, challenges, like like any other farm. Um, it's very different to Sunday, um, the farm that I'm used to, which was um, obviously very much an upland farm at the foot of Snowdon. Um, here we're we're only five minutes from Beth Gellert, but we're very much on on the flat. Um, and so before the cob was built, this was actually estuary. Um, so we've got very sandy soils, we've got very waterlogged soils, but we've got two very beautiful rivers coming through the farm, uh, Avon Glaslin and Avon Namov. Um, so we've got some, uh, a lot of rushes, a lot of rushy fields. Um, we've got some interesting species rich grasslands as well. Um, we've got a few rocky knolls. Um, yeah, the two rivers and uh, a little bit of everything in between really, but not, not the hill land that, um, that I've been used to, but we do um, rent. We've got a really good partnership with someone else the other side of Thunder, Bialfay. Um, so we have got some hill land that we rent for the summer for the cattle. So I've 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 kept my hill needs in check there. So, but I'm I'm definitely already missing gathering sheep off the hills. It's quite different here. Mm. But you you will have sheep as well. You have sheep and cattle. Yeah, so we've got a small, we're hoping to do a big shopping spree in the spring, but we've got um, <laughs> small numbers at the moment of, yeah, sheep and cattle. It'll only be the cattle that'll go um, up the mountain because I haven't got a, a heft, I haven't got a group of hefted sheep here. So um, the sheep will stay down here and the cattle will go up. Does that mean you'll be able to have big, big meaty sheep or will they need to be Welsh mountain sheep as well? Well, so I've started with a bit of an experiment. Um, so I've actually got Romney Marsh sheep um, wow. in, in the hope that they are used to very wet land mm. um, and therefore have quite good feet. Um, they're also quite, there's some um, there's a lot of people starting to play with sort of New Zealand genetics on the sheep side and they actually quite like the Romneys for how sort of low maintenance they are. They're still quite a big carcass um, and yeah, fair, still fairly hardy um, with an amazing fleece. So it's a bit of an experiment, um, but I'm, I'm definitely going to miss the Welsh mountains and I might buy, I might still buy some Welsh mountain ewes in the spring and then my Brexit. They're, they're sheep that you like, the Welsh mountain sheep. They're very special sheep, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And you know, they're they're, they're native to here, and, and I think they know the hills better than better than anyone. Um, mm. And they're quite pretty, but it's just sad in terms of their commercial value. It's a lot lower in terms of that small light lamb that they produce. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it depends on depends on Brexit and depends on the the opportunities we get in terms of any further land. So, I'm sure we'll come on to that. It just popped into my mind though. Uh, two two things there. Sheep is it foot rot is a thing in sheep, isn't it? So that's the reason for going for the Romney Marsh sheep to combat against that. 
but also there's going to be some flooding on that land, isn't there? It's going to flood quite a lot, isn't it? How do you build that into your plans? Yeah, um, that's going to be one of the main challenges here, to be honest. Um, there's some of the lower fields. I say lower, it's all about four metres above sea level. So they're about three metres. Um, they flood very regularly. So basically it's making sure that the fencing is in place um, and the escape routes are in place. Um, and so we're just trying to make sure everything's fenced out and we just keep a very close eye on flood alerts um, and the NRW sites. Um, some of the backfields, the cattle would do all right in them because there's some rocky knolls that they can, and, and the animals are very quick to learn where to go. Um, however, they, they get a little bit too um, deep <laughs> um, for the sheep, for it to be too much of a risk for you just to spend the whole night worrying, really. So moving them around and having escape routes and, and being ready to move them. <laughs> yeah, okay. There, there are places you can put them then. That, that's the thing, isn't it? Um, but, but bigger picture, I mean, we hear that farmers are struggling. You're taking on a farm. Uh, you, are you going to make a living from this? You know, when, when are you going to get any income? Are you going to sell some lamb? Are we going to be able to buy it? Are you going to sell some beef? Where are we going to be able to buy that? What, uh, do you, where does the money come from in the meantime? How does it work? Um, I always find myself talking talking away about the farm and then uh, remembering partway through that I have to try and make money out of this. <laughs> um, in the meantime, both of us are working off farm. Um, Ned is full time. I'm just about four days. Um, we don't quite know how grants etc are going to work um, but we will be eligible for some hopefully. Um, that's the only way to keep it going initially. Um, and yeah we're definitely hoping to, to direct sell as much as we can. Um, it will be a bit of a challenge initially getting the ground and the grazing good enough to be able to finish um, any stock. Um, but to be honest for us with small numbers doing nature-friendly farming um, on a tenanted farm. It's the only way we can really see it paying is to, is to direct sale as much as possible. Well, I look forward to that and I hope people listening look forward to that as well because uh, one of the things we can do to help is to buy our meat direct from the farm, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and yeah, thank you for getting some lamb off me last year. Um, it's again, it's it's a bit of a challenge. A lot of people have asked me why why doesn't everyone uh, in Sodonia fit, you know, sell their lamb direct? Um, it's quite when particularly when you're in the uplands, you have such a small amount of good grazing that you can't actually finish finish the lamb or finish the stock. Um, so most of the time, the the animals then get sold on to lowlands for someone with better grazing to finish them off um, so it's 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 a shame it's a it's a missed opportunity in a way but you're you know you've got nature as your constraint in a way in terms of, of finishing the stock but we're hoping to yeah to, to try and improve some of the grassland and and try and finish some some pasture raised uh, lamb and beef I hope that works because when they go into market, you are at the mercy of the market, aren't you? It's not like you go in knowing exactly how much you're going to get for your product, is it? You don't set the price, the market sets the price. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's 
that's where the the change in payments going to be challenging because obviously the the, the current subsidies are sort of set up as a as a floor as a, as a market support for when you have all these fluctuations um you know you you trading on at a global commodity in a way so that's what's hopefully for us is going to work for direct selling because we will know um we'll know better what we'll get back from from that produce uh, you mentioned the subsidies there Tularic. this is another challenge facing you as you take on this farm um that that whole system's changing isn't it i, I saw some headlines on the bbc today it was vaguely talking about um the public good um public money for public good but not kind of just exactly following the english line as well there's going to be some unique aspects to it in wales aren't there can you tell us any more about that or how you think it might work yeah so so welsh government are proposing a sustainable farming scheme so um there's not going to be one farmer can apply to do public goods and one can apply to do efficiency. Um, every single farm will have the same scheme in a way. Um, obviously each farm can feed into that into, into different ways. So, you know, here with the river, um, we would probably get more of a payment towards watercourses or buffering. Um, someone else in a less woody area might get payments for making putting more woodland or hedgerows in. Um, so the, the difficulty at the moment, um, farmers and for Welsh government, is that we don't know how that's going to work and we don't know how that's going to get paid or at what rates and what will, um, how that'll work when we transition to a new scheme. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty, um, but the same as England, moving much more towards public goods. Um, hopefully in, in Wales, because actually farmers in Wales are actually more reliant on um, the subsidies in terms of income. Um, and there's actually a more sort of rural and agricultural community in Wales. Um, in a way, they're more dependent on them. So I think there'll mm -hmm. still be um, an emphasis on making sure that those payments um, enhance the rural community as well. So that's the hope, but we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, that brings up lots of questions. We've seen with the Carnethi project that the, the cultural aspect of farming is a really important part of the project as well. Do you think that'll be reflected in this um, Welsh system as well? We hope so. Um, I think it's, <laughs> it's a difficult one um, because they're wanting to move away from basic payments and those sort of the, the that sort of rural support system um and if it's just on public goods then that doesn't come through so much um mm. so yeah I, I think realistically that that will have to to play a big part in it um and i think you know for for us we're, we're in a slight i can't really speak for others in that we're in a bit of a different situation we haven't got a business set up on those payments yet we're you know we are in a way we've taken out a loan we're yeah. we're, we're trying to um to pave our own way with it but i'm in the lucky position in that i've been in amongst that sort of farming anyway um so i think it's it's a lot more challenging um for a farm that's been set up in a certain way has certain bills coming out every month has a certain setup whereas mm -hmm. we're starting from scratch we don't have much 
capital or we, we, we can adjust ourselves to this scheme as soon as we know what it is. I think that's going to be a lot harder for um, a lot of farmers and sort of generational tenancies that um, those farms have been ran in that way for, for a long time on this current system. So to suddenly change that is, is going to be quite a, a challenge for everyone, really. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful <laughs> that it will be great. Uh, worried that in yeah. the short term um, we could lose, I think we could lose farmers because the bigger ones can compete their way out of it. Um, the smaller ones can specialise um, and diversify more. It's it's the middle ones that I think, um, the family farms basically, where it's a lot more challenging. So. It is going to be tough. I like the way you're turning it into an opportunity. That's really, really good. It's a new system, your new farmers, it's an opportunity. It's going to be excellent. Just before I move on, I just want to just dig a little bit more into that cultural aspect because a lot of people listening to this will walk through farms. They will be aware of sheep and, and um cattle and, and the rest of it but behind the scenes here in Snowdonia it's usually the farming community that uh, run the village fate that volunteer as counsellors or as school governors there's a whole another layer and the Welsh language you know is important to that can you just tell us a bit more about the what the farming community do behind the scenes that we don't see and why that's important yeah Definitely. And to be honest, that was a big reason for me wanting to, to stay in, in Wales to farm. Um, I think the best example I can give is when I started work for FEW a few years ago, um, I was writing the, the sort of biographies um, for our various uh, sort of presidents and deputy presidents, etc. So how have these people got the time for us? They were on the they were sort of governor of the school. They were something else in the chapel. They were on the Royal Welsh Society, like you say, they were running the uh, the, the local show, etc. Um, and it's a really wonderful thing because it it sometimes it can seem like a closed off community to others, and and but I, yeah, I can't emphasise how how special it is and how I think what's different is that because a lot of farmers or generational farmers, you know, you're going to be in that area forever. You know that you're going to be there on that farm so it's absolutely worth it for you to put everything into that community um and so sometimes i feel like an outsider because i've traveled around so much and i don't have my one base my one farm my one heft um but i've you know like when you came to talk at our young farmers club and so try to get involved with things like that um and yeah very very supportive community which is why sometimes we sort of hunker down together and go no to other things because you're looking out for each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's marvellous. That's great. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated by all those journeys you've made before, but I, I want to keep us on Snowdoni here and, and now and, and really moving forwards as well, because you've got this other role with the Farmers Union for Wales, haven't you? So your job is now working for the Farmers Union Wales as well as running this farm. What, what are you going to be doing on that? job and what's that all about yeah so i'm the policy officer um for the farmers union so we represent family farms in wales basically um and so the the sort of subject areas that i've got is um the dreaded brexit um wow. <laughs> uh new 
yeah, the, the new policy that's coming through in amongst red meat and last year and supermarkets and a few others. And so basically we represent family farms um, and we'll lobby government, um, sit on various different industry groups, um, apply to consultations, etc. So I'm very lucky in that I've I managed to get a job um, away from the farm that is also very much linked um, with what I'm doing. Um, but I think the problem is sometimes, and you'll probably agree, when you love a job, you end up doing a lot more of it and involving yourself even more. So um, sometimes it's it, there's definitely going to be conflicting between me needing wanting to be outside and then needing to be to be in on the laptop answering calls. <laughs> neither neither of your jobs are nine to five jobs, are they? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> no. So you mentioned the Brexit word there. Obviously, coming out of the common agricultural policy is one of the reasons people voted to leave. So everybody's celebrating that. Um, but then somebody pointed out that a lot of the lamb we produce is sold into the European Union. So uh, have you got the secret inside knowledge on how all this is going to work? Uh, a lot of it depends on the deal or no deal that we get. Um, I if there is no deal um it is for the sheep sector it is absolutely devastating because it's sort of 50 percent tariff so so you can't sell it at all basically to europe um if there is a deal uh, it's still feasible but there's a lot more the sort of export processes and things um so i think my the opportunities like you say i think is coming out of cap creating a welsh policy um, making it uniquely Welsh to, like you say, the Welsh rural communities and, and the, the, the public goods that, that we can offer here. Um, trade is a lot scarier, um, in terms, especially in terms of American trade deals, Australian trade deals. They don't help uh, British farmers at all because they're exporters, really, of food. Um, and you probably saw there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of, sort of media coverage around the the agriculture bill in Westminster um, because they didn't put those standards into law in the end so we we have basically sort of opened the door to substandard imports um, and that's the bit that worries me actually more than almost more than the the how the new policies might go because as good of a job that we could be doing if my product is on a shelf next to um, an American product um, there's just no way that I compete and, and, and I, that's not a problem in supermarkets it's a problem more in sort of food service etc where you don't necessarily know where that's come from um, so yeah there's sort of opening the door to substandard stuff whilst increasing the, the regulation and the pressures on us that's where I'm more worried because I think if, if British consumers knew what they were buying they'd, they'd obviously choose to support um british and and safe food um but if you don't know or well, the price is such a difference and if we're going into a recession you can't mm. blame people that is the problem though isn't it um we you'll say we'll support british farms but when it comes to the till the checkout it it does cost more so you know why why does your lamb cost more than new zealand lamb Good question. Um, so one thing is 
a lot of people have argued is that in New Zealand, they years ago, they absolutely slashed the subsidies. Um, and that was, I mean, it was horrific at the time in terms of, you know, people losing land, suicides, the lot. Um, but they've had to become very, very, very efficient. Um, the problem is, is that the environment has actually suffered because of that as well. Um, and it's created absolutely enormous farms, um, which basically there's too many people in the UK for that to be able to happen. And we don't want that sort of farming. Um, so in terms of regulation um, and the setup of smaller family farms, um it's it's quite a different product in that respect and in terms of the sort of scales and the efficiency and the fact that they've had to concentrate on export and getting their making it so that their lamb can go on an aeroplane yeah that's interesting so you're going to be focusing on the home market it's going to be a quality product what one of the things i noticed with beef is you'll often talk about aberdeen angus or um you know whatever the type of beef is people was it wagyu beef and things like that we don't hear much of that with with sheep do we i mean can we not sell snowdonia lamb as a, a quality product or are they all sorts of different breeds is it how, how are you going to take that forward marketing the product i suppose it is isn't it yeah absolutely and i think what the struggle is is trying to create that specific niche um so there's already pgi lamb welsh lamb so um but obviously that's quite a big pot mm. of different things that that goes into um we've tried as well with potentially trying to get um welsh mountain brand so there is actually welsh mountain sheep from the welsh mountain society mm -hmm. um and again yeah the same sort of challenges in terms of getting that out to consumers, it being a, a, a smaller carcass, um, et cetera. And then, so even though it's a lot of work, the easiest thing for us to do is put our own farm brand onto it um, mm -hmm. and do our added value, which is nature-friendly farming, pasture-based, et cetera, in Sodonia. Um, but it's not, it's not easy and it's a different skill. And I think marketing is very different um to farming and land management it's a whole other different section to your business um, mm. and, and, do, and do, so do you have to do that as well you have to create that story for the marketing side of your business you don't have somebody else to do that do you no and and i think that's the the joy and also the challenge of farming <laughs> that you you do have to do everything and I, i've you've heard this before i've used this analogy that you know as a farmer you are the the, the midwife, the vet, the soil scientist, the accountant, the marketer, um, and you just have to play to your own strengths, really. And so for us, obviously, I used to do a bit of marketing, so it suits me to do that sort of product, but it doesn't suit everyone. And there are far better farmers and vets and soil scientists out there than I am, but this is something that, that I can do. So. Well, we'll look forward to that. There's one label you missed out there, and that's the organic label, isn't it? Why have you missed the organic label out? Ah, oh, yeah. So we would, we'd love to be um, organic. Um, for us, we've got quite a big challenge on the farm with invasive species. Um, so at Sunday, it was rhododendron. Here, it's Himalayan balsam and Japanese knotweed. Um, so there's a lot of pulling we can do, but there's also 
control that we have to do and therefore we can't be certified organic because of that invasive species work that we have to do um, and although we'll basically be following those principles um, initially as a small business selling small numbers um, it's not quite worth it for us to do the certification process um, so we're just hoping to show people our farm, show them what we do and, and hope that people trust that, that system. How are you going to reach walkers and climbers then? Because we, we, we like what you're doing there and we want to get in there. Um, there's a passage through where you are now, is there? You're going to be in a quite hidden spot, aren't you? I mean, how are you going to reach us? Yeah, it's it's quite different to Sunday in that we're not in that honeypot Mount Gwynant place. Um, there's not really a reason for someone to come down our lane. Um, so we're hoping to do farm tours um, and groups. Um, Instagram, I think, is wonderful um, for showing people what we do. Um, we're probably going to end up doing some diversification as well and having some accommodation if we can. Um, so, and to be honest, just, yeah, talking to people and, and, and getting out there on different, different groups. Um, and it's really nice when people search you out and they see what you're doing and, and they trust it. So I think it's, it'll take time, but I'm hoping that we'll build up, um, yeah, build up a good- Build up a following, yeah. While I mention walkers and climbers, um, do you, when you go down to the sheep market on a Wednesday to sell your lambs, do you talk about us? Can I say no comment? <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, that's probably enough to say, isn't it? Um, because we do see ourselves as different tourists. We're not normal tourists. We go walking and climbing. Um, do the Farmers Union for Wales have a policy on hill walking and climbing? There were, there was definitely some worries um, when there was talk about opening it up much more Scotland style. Um, and actually those, those policies of, in terms of Welsh government um, have sort of slowed down. I think after everything that happened in the summer, um, especially on Snowdon in our area, in terms of the, the sort of, it's not wild camping because that I don't I, it's not called what, what do they call it like it's like fly tipping but yeah it's camping. free camping fly camping yeah um there was so much of that and it was just so sad to see um so I think that's made people take a bit of a step back on on opening up um opening up these sort of areas even more um but no I think to to be fair you know I Personally, yeah, I see there's, I know that there's a complete difference between a group um, of walkers coming through the farm as opposed to, you know, I'll stereotype a, a, a group of young lads with a load of um, tinnies and blow up uh, camper beds, you know, yeah, absolutely know the difference. So, so I would know and you would know that we would agree on how behaviour should be in the countryside. I just wonder if there's a way for, um, the representatives of bona fide hill walkers and climbers to get together with the farmers union for wales and try and have a bit more of a, a joint voice there rather than it being them and us 
Absolutely. And I think I remember you saying this before, Mike, that it's it's it frustrates you guys as much as it frustrates us when you see people, um, you know, leaving rubbish and leaving gates and having dogs everywhere. You know, it's 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 really bad for you guys as well as 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 affecting us. So absolutely. I think if there's joint messages out there. Um, that definitely helps everyone's case and in a way shames those people even more because it's not just angry farmers that are saying stop doing this um, it's other people who love and respect the countryside how how bad was it after that first lockdown it was our way to July wasn't it and through August it was it was pretty horrific and it was it did actually get to the point where um other years i've sort of driven up and down the lane and asked people to put out barbecues and tried to stop people before they even set up but it got so bad i just couldn't do it and for your own you know i'm 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 30 for a lot of farmers who are in that vulnerable age group it would have been even worse and you wouldn't have wanted to try and um you know could confront people really um the camp it was a different it was definitely different in that it was different groups of people and there was much more of the yeah the sort of camping where they'd set up anywhere and leave absolutely everything i saw much more of that um and there was more of an attitude of we deserve this and it was i really tried to hold myself back sometimes because you know i had to recognize that for three months I had a beautiful part of Snowdonia to myself um a lot of people were cooped up so I was trying to remember that but I think for a lot of other farmers who were in that vulnerable age group and who if they'd have fallen ill they didn't have any backup farm care um that was yeah that it would have been a really really hard time Somebody's commented on the uh, feed, I won't name them, but they've taken the words uh, that, that you might have wished to say, I don't know, you might have classified um, the chav campers, this person's called them, chav campers at Slindinas was horrendous, every weekend we collected two bin bags full of rubbish, so there were other people collecting rubbish as well, which is, gosh, that's even, even madder, isn't it? But, uh, yeah. Um, that, what that, else? Go on. That was a that was a really big thing for me actually seeing that other people were helping out and you know Beth Gellert residents in particular really and Manguin and you know kind of took hold of that problem and sorted out themselves you know I'll, I'll sometimes I got to the point where I just didn't look at it I just you know carried on thought this is ridiculous and fair play you know I think that's where that's where it was really good to see that you know it was it was absolutely it was locals doing that work it wasn't you know you that landowner or that farmer yeah. it was people taking yeah. responsibility for, for somewhere that wasn't you know directly well, theirs or linked to we we had similar over this side rattling gary on a thin up nant crab nant uh with the the local people stepping in but the the fellows that were stepping in because the authorities weren't doing anything the authorities either had the staff on furlough the staff have been made redundant due to the massive underfunding of the national park of nrw um national trust has had a desperate year i mean could could official them could those establishments that are set up to conserve the country could they have done more or should they do more in the future i think the summer was good for recognizing 
how much more infrastructure we need if we're going to keep promoting Wales as this beautiful place for everyone to come relaxing um, then you need to match that up with those resources and infrastructure and park and ride and rubbish trips because you know for for residents and locals it it created such an us and them feeling um because you know it it, it, it was the locals being the rubbish men and putting themselves at risk so um yeah it, it, and then at the same time it, you you then have to try and remember that like I said that you get to live here and a lot of people don't so it's trying to remind myself of that before losing it with people <laughs> yeah I was very sympathetic on the weekend before lockdown where we had a lot of people here I was really trying to be very understanding that people having that last getaway and it was difficult to be critical of them but afterwards there was some poor behavior but of course th that poor behavior sometimes was just pure ignorance people didn't know how they were expected to behave so we need to do a better job there but i do think there are some people who just don't care as well did you find that when you were talking to people that they just didn't care about leaving the rubbish is that was that oh i can't is that a real thing there i don't know if it was a i don't care well maybe it wasn't i don't care i think like you say it was a i deserve to be here now attitude and mm. there was a lot of not thinking you were in that moment this was your weekend you weren't going to come back here mm. um and i think that's that's the attitude that's really hard to take and it's really hard to change because i think people who do think a bit about it well they'll have it you know it's, it's easier for them to take on board that that reminder or criticism um that there isn't someone there to pick up your rubbish actually um, but if it's just an experience, a fleeting moment, a picture for Instagram, and then you're not going to come back again, then there is no, there's, there's no inclination for them to care about that area or those locals, really. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's get back to the positive. Um, listening to here, you'll have a lot of people who are sympathetic. I mean, they might have some concerns about some aspects of farming. Um, one might be sheep overgrazing. You could maybe comment on that for us. But there'll also be um, most of us will want to know what we can do to help. So maybe just are we are we right to worry about sheep overgrazing? And then we'll turn positive and say what can we do to help? Huh. Um. <laughs> I want to say no comment again. Um, you can do, you can do. I mean, <laughs> I don't think anybody's naive enough to think we're going to get rid of sheep completely, but there are definitely areas which are so overgrazed that they, they don't look economically useful for sheep anymore. There just doesn't look to be anything left for them to eat and it's nothing there for nature. I mean, is that a sort of problem that could be tackled with the, the new funding systems moving forward? Do farmers recognise that as a problem or, or do they just keep doing the same things they've always done? I think, it, I think it does depend a lot on where you are and the system that you've got. Yeah, absolutely, things have been pushed in some areas um, further than probably the natural capacity of that land and also the, the the productive capacity of of that land um it's still it is still financially a number game um but yeah i think with this scheme if there are other things that can offer a better return um yeah that might change things a bit um the, it's a 
I'll a bit of a double-edged sword and in that so we're we're going more towards losing subsidies um so yes there's a public goods scheme coming um a lot of farmers don't know what that's going to look like what it's going to be um and how that's going to pay so my almost worry is that we're being a lot of people being pushed towards more efficiency and actually what we end up doing is a, a different system to what you're sort of talking about but it ends up being about quite intensive grazing and it's, it's really good grassland management in that you graze intensively and you move them off um, so you don't get that nibble nibble down you leave a bit of grass and that grows more again um, mob, so mob grazing mob grazing i saw it yes referred to yeah yes and no so it depends so there's there's mob grazing that you can do for um sort of enhancing the soil um and you'll put loads of them on and they'll have a really long um rest time basically and so you'll allow things to flower and set seed um and obviously that's amazing for for nature and that's what we're hoping to try quite a lot of here um the trouble is on a efficiency side of things that's not very good because as soon as it grows long and sets seed um it loses that nutritional quality for the animal so what what i think we're going to end up moving more towards is um mob grazing of the more efficient way um where you've got yeah mobs of sheep moving around and you do have longer rest periods but you basically end up encouraging the really productive grasses and this is where I mean it's a double-edged sword. So your soil is better, you, you're more efficient, it's better economically. But I would argue you're, you're actually still going to get a bit of a monoculture then because the productive grasses are going to be preferred. I don't know. Whereas for here, we we want to create hay, hay meadow, species-rich grasslands, etc. Um, but it's going to suit us to do it because of... Um, that's what we want to do it's going to suit the direct selling and it's actually going to suit the land so i think it yeah i can't talk for all farmers um people have pushed into different systems but yeah things definitely will things are going to be changing mm, it's interesting interesting go on then give us three things that all walkers need to know about farming oh um you've told us more than we can remember at the moment so we need we need to just simplify it. Give us three things to take away that we can remember. Okay. Um, for walkers, I think remembering that it's a it's a working, living landscape. Um, and I think that's, I mean, you're really good at that, Mike. That adds quite a lot of interest to your walks once you know the different things about that landscapes and the, the history behind it and the people um, see it more as a, yeah, as a working landscape. Um, which is sometimes just to just to explain why sometimes we're grumpy because we're still working. <laughs> um, another thing would be well, actually, in terms of a, a Welsh slant on it, walkers in the countryside is the in terms of the Welsh language. Um, there are lots of amazing names for places that you walk through and on farmland, and farmers can be very proud of those things that are on their land. So don't call them something else. <laughs> um that's yeah that can be that can be very frustrating um what else do you want us to do um, what are you thinking there's an appendix in nature snowdonia that might just help people with the pronunciation a little bit excellent yeah please yeah 
that's brilliant because it's it's so sad when you hear people say Oggy instead of Ogwen Valley or Australia yeah. Lake or um, Twin Lakes instead of Shunoid Kerrigamuth. Anyway, that's so um, easy, so easy for thing... you to say. <laughs> um, Heavy Hughes is chucked in is... closed gates is uh, is always one, isn't it? Closing gates. So somebody's put it in the mean, chat if box. Talk, if you're talking about the usual, yeah, how to go through farms well, it's 100%. Close gates, keep your dog on a lead and take your rubbish with you. But I, I think I think people that will be following you will should know those things already, really. I might sound like a broken record if I... Yeah, if I, yeah I, I, I agree, but it is important. And we have to teach other people to do it. You mentioned dogs. Um, one of the reasons we can't quite bring ourselves to hate sheep farming because sheep overgraze is because you have sheep dogs and we love sheep dogs. <laughs> How do you pick a dog? How do you train a dog? And have you got your dogs there? Yeah, so uh, Roy and Ralph. Um, so we're training Ralph at the moment. Um, he's come from very good breeding. Um, I was very, very lucky in that he was a, a pre-wedding gift from the, the shepherds that I work with at, at Havada Shan. Um, so he's got a lot of potential in him already. So it's, it's up to us to, to, to mess him up, basically. Um, so in terms of Ralph's training, what we've started out doing, we've made a, a, a fenced ring. Because what you always want the dogs to do is go come by, which is clockwise, or away, which is um, anti-clockwise. Um, and so first you just want to teach them that direction and then have an absolutely solid stand and lie down. Um, they're not always that solid of a stand, especially when you're out in the mountains. So if anyone hears, stand, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's an amazing, it's an amazing skill and they're amazing, amazing animals. Um, and just for me at Havadashan, that was, the, the most special thing that I learned really was seeing seeing experienced shepherds working working their dogs and the skill there and the sort of the team working um I feel like I've still got a long way to go before we get there and I, I remember being told that you can actually overtrain the dog as well can't you because the, the the places you're fetching sheep off the dog needs to be able to think for itself to some degree it's not like one man and his dog on the telly it's not like controlled sheep trials is it they have to be able to go off and, and know the mountain themselves don't they is that is that the case yeah absolutely so um it's quite a different dog that you need on the hill um to a sort of trials dog so yeah you need them to be able to sometimes they're not going to be able to hear you or see you and they need to be able to if they've got a, a sheep pretty much on a cliff edge they need to know to sort of approach steadily and, and, and go the right direction. Um, but they also need to have a bit of go in them, a bit of oomph in them um, to move sheep off a big area or to get them moving. Um, and I think that's, that's what Ralph has got in leaps and bounds. So our job is going to be reining him in a little bit, but it's better that way than having a dog who doesn't want to work as much. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's easier to slow them down than it is to, to, to speed them up. Uh, that's fascinating. We, we do like seeing the dogs. And, and you use the terms come by there. Is that come by in a way? Did, did sheep dogs speak English then, not Welsh? 
Yeah, so it depends on uh, yeah, it depends on your dog. So so we've done combine away with Ralph, um, and then there's a few things that we've got. So we've got Ista, um, Savannah, as in stay there. Um, that'll do. We say in English. So actually, just thinking about yeah, we're sort of bilingual with them actually, but um, <laughs> without realizing it. The dogs know more Welsh than I do. That's terrible. I've got a question from John Mills here, Tulare. To what extent would you see that the upland landscape is not really a natural landscape in that it has been created and managed? Yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely agree. Um, there's most of the, most of the UK is like that. I'd probably say in terms of, um, you know, I, I, in terms of wild areas as such. Um, I think it does, yeah, going back to the overgrazing question, I think a lot of it ends up on, it, it's to do with what you're trying to get out of that landscape. What are your, what are your priorities? What do you value? What does your business need? Um, and so, yeah, in that respect, it is a very managed landscape. Um, obviously to some people, it does look quite um, wild and, and, and rugged. Um, but it, yeah, it's yeah, usually because they don't know though, isn't it? Just don't realise, they don't understand that it's a working landscape, as you say. But if it's a working landscape, it's also a playground as well. And if it is a manufactured landscape and we have choices on how we manage it in the future, how big a part should recreation, and I'm thinking of hill walking in a nice, low impact, sensible way, how big a part should that play in the management choices for the future? And how should hill walkers try to influence that yeah um that's a good question i think a lot of it like you were saying in terms of the low input in the low impact um i think a lot of it comes down to respect between um the users of these areas and the managers and the, the people who use it as more as a more as a playground i do think a lot of it comes down to that and and respecting the fact that you know yeah, for, for me, it's a working landscape and, and I need to do X, Y, Z on it today. And for someone else, um, that's their day out. Um, and it is probably seen more as a playground. But as long as we sort of respect each other, um, then I think that can go a long way. Um, it's, a, it's a tricky one because it's, you know, it's, it's, I can only speak for myself in that I've done a lot of walking and I used to climb. So I've probably got a slightly different attitude to it. Um, but at the same time, despite the fact that I've been an enjoyer of the countryside, um, as finding out as a farmer in Sodonia, um, on a bank holiday weekend, that I can get very angry and peeved off of people because there's nothing good that sometimes comes from it for you as a farmer. If you're not, you know, if you if you've not diversified and you're not doing farm tours or something, it's it's it can only cause you bother or hassle sometimes. Um, so I think it's, I think it's understanding each other, um, respecting each other, um, and yeah. Well, there, <laughs> must be, there must be a lot of different viewpoints within farming, isn't it? Farmers are not just one group of people who think the same thing. I mean, there must be some farmers who keep quiet at the back because they've got quite a nice little campsite going on when you're talking about these things. Uh, are the viewpoints really varied within farming or are there commonalities of, of viewpoints? Yeah, uh, there's, there's definitely commonalities, but 
in terms of the sort of like you say some someone who's got a campsite or accommodation um but again i think that's it's tricky because that's different um in terms of walkers coming through um yeah okay the people that are directly buying from that farm or using that farm it's it's different than than everyone who's walking through um and sometimes you you could argue that farmers don't don't always get things from those people coming through which is where i think you know things like you've done with you know plus brennan groups coming over and doing farm tours and doing you know you came to talk to the young farmers club for us and and buying meat you know there's there's those sort of two-way things that i just think go such a long way um in in sort of helping that relationship and and, and yeah understanding the pressures that can be that can be on farmers so to help with that, there's a couple of really good books by a Lakeland farmer, James Rebank. They're beautiful books to read and they, they do tell the story very nicely. Are there any Snowdonia equivalents? I know we talk about um, Thomas Furbank's I Bought a Farm, but I think it was written in the 1930s or 1950s. Is there anything more up to date to help us that, that, that we can read that will help us understand the farming landscape in North Wales? there's so the only one that i can think of off the top of my head um but it's not um yeah it's not sort of similar to james rebanks but it's called the snowden shepherd um and it's a it's beautiful um the sort of beautiful illustrations with it i think it's keith bowen who did the illustrations for it but it's got the the year on a um it's sort of got the illustrated and explained months of every um yeah, so it's the sort of the seasons of a sheep farm um, and that actually really helped me when I came because I'd, I'd not worked on a on a solely upland sheep farm before and it helped me understand um, those sort of yeah the sort of the seasonalities and the traditions there's I'm gonna have to send it to you after because I can't remember her name but it's Ruth Ruck I think um, who's written and she was from Namod up the road here um, and I'm going to have to, yeah. I'll, okay, I'll no, I'll send you through afterwards. That's after. fine. That's really good. Um, we are we are getting near the end of the, the the time that we've allowed. Somebody's written in leave gates as you find them, which is not necessarily closed. But I've always thought, if in doubt, it's better to leave them closed than leave them open. Yeah. That's a yeah, that's a really tricky one because sometimes we have to leave gates open for water. Um, but the problem is more often than not, they've been left open by someone else <laughs> in front of you. Um, so okay, Richard, Richard Gwyn Neal has added Ruth Rook's Place of Stones. Yeah, Richard, yeah, that one. That's the one. Canna thy farm at Nantmore. Thank you, Richard Gwyn Neal. I wanted to ask about wool as well. Is there any future for wool in in a minute? Is there any future for it? Uh, this year has been terrible um, because of COVID, so it's absolutely just floored uh, the wool market. Um, yes, I hope so. Um, but a lot of sort of Welsh mountain wool, the harder stuff, gets used in carpets, so airports and um, uh, cruise ships. So obviously they they haven't been bought, um, but yes, I think people are waking up to uh, plastic, polyester, etc., and how good wool is. So can we produce some Romney Marsh wool for Welsh hillwalkers garments? 
if if someone else can spin it, I'll cheer <laughs> it off. <laughs> well, we've laid down the the challenge there. I think we'll leave it there, Tulare. Is that okay? Yeah. Thank you, Mike. No, it's 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 yeah. It's nice to have sort of time out and talk about it instead of just doing it. So be off. Great, Jochen Vala. Thank you very much, Tulare. I say that will be available on a podcast um, either later this evening or tomorrow at some point. Um, my next week's guest might be able to help with some of the conundrums that we've raised today because our Christmas special is with Helen Pye who is quite senior in the National Park. She's in charge of access, recreation, conservation, the wardens, all sorts of things. So she's joining me next Tuesday. It's on Tuesday next week. So uh, if you've got any questions for Helen who, who's a big big fish at the National Park then, then do send them in to me. And just on the screen now, there's lots of thank yous coming in, which is lovely. We'll be able to look at that afterwards. So, Jochenwawa Tuleri, Nostar. Nostar, thank you, Mike. And thank you to everybody for tuning in. We're going to sit here looking silly for a moment while Ian turns us off. <laughs>